You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. The biggest thing that's going to happen, Bill, that needs to happen for us to really get paid is we need the generalist investors to give up on the stock market and come over here. And that really hasn't happened yet. And, and that stuff's still working. And that stuff had worked in the past. And our stuff is, you know, that's the old bull market slowly rolling over. In my opinion, we are the new bull market slowly being discovered. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, and I'm chatting today with Larry Lepard of Equity Management Associates. He runs a gold stock fund. And uh, Larry, you've been doing this for 15 or so years, I believe. Yeah. And- you you coined a term that I like that I think is applicable to where we are in, in this uh, sentiment in, for gold stock investors. That's gold stock, um, battered gold stock uh, bull, bull syndrome. syndrome. Right? Yeah, that's what we are. Yeah. So are you seeing that right now? Oh, yeah. You have to be a masochist to be in this area. It's been so hard. You know, we are making progress, as you know, but it's, it's three steps forward, two steps back. And um, yeah, it's you know, we need these metals to really move through their, their um, the breakout levels and, and particularly gold through 2000 or 2050 and then silver ultimately through kind of the mid 30s. And then, of course, someday through the 50, the old all time high of 50. And when those things occur, I think these stocks are going to just light up, you know, and I'm, I'm highly confident those things will occur. I don't know the exact time frame. Obviously, it's taken longer than I thought, but it's common. You know, they keep printing money. It's common. <laughs> How do you talk to your investors when they call and, you know, you're uh, down- I just say, yeah, I just explain to them the value that we're buying and the stocks that we're buying. I mean, we're buying things at three times cash flow. You know, these companies are in no risk of going out of business. Um, you know, they don't have debt. They're piling up cash. I mean, they could live with $1,500 gold prices. And, you know, the market doesn't really care about them right now because the market's focused on other things, still believes we're going to go back to a, a less inflationary environment and then we don't have a recession, which, of course, we do. Uh, and, um, you know, the bottom line is someday people will care. And when they care, these things are going to go up multiples of today's price. So they're, they're very asymmetric in the way that they're set up right now. You know, there's a lot of upside with, I perceive, you know, relatively minimal downside. I mean, obviously if gold goes to a thousand bucks, these things are going to be hurting, but I think the odds of that happening are extremely low. So, so you, you're about 40% producers in your fund. Uh, that's looking- about right. Yeah. It's about 40%. I mean, I, um, yeah, about 40% producers and the balance is kind of a, probably an equal balance between development stories and drill stories. Um, and so the, you know, the producers are obviously the safest place to be, you know, if they have, if they're producing ore and they're producing bullion and they have uh, positive cash flow, you know, they don't need to keep coming back to the market. Um, you know, the risk in the development stories and the drill stories is they continually need to access the market to push the business forward. And so that obviously has inherent risks. And more particularly, as we've all seen, you've had these CapEx blowout risks like we had at Argonaut and at IM Gold and in some other places as well. And then you've also had, you know, in the drill story category, you get the, you know, it's a tough market and it's not easy to raise money. And, you know, you you maybe have to slow down your drilling. But the thing to keep in mind with all these companies is many of them, if not really all the companies I'm involved with, have a 43101 resource. And so, you know, you can look at that and go, okay, there's X amount of gold in the ground here or silver in the ground here, which someday is going to be worth a lot of money to someone. And even in a very bad climate, you know, they could cut their costs back, stop drilling, stop pushing things forward, live on a very small amount of dilution every year. So you've kind of got a a very small premium perpetual call option on metal in the ground. And I mean, there are companies with 
billions of dollars of metal in the ground that have market caps of 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars. You know, and so obviously it's going to take time and money to pull that metal out of the ground. But the point is that the metal doesn't go away. <laughs> it's sitting there. We know it's sitting there. And so someday when the prices are higher, it's going to, you know, the optionality is going to show up and it's going to be, you know, these stocks are going to take off. For the development pre-production stories, are you approaching that differently because of the CapEx blowouts and all the very failed mine so. developments? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I like the ones that are close to the end of their development. I got a big position in Orzone. They're very close to, you know, starting to produce. Um, I've got a big position in Silvercrest. They've actually started producing, but a very small level. Um, yeah, so when, you're, when you can clearly see the end point uh, and the production coming and, and the risk of CapEx, I mean, that, that's almost really a producer, even though they're not producing at full commercial production. Um, you know, beyond that, um, there are others that, you know, there, there are some companies that are kind of a mix, right? They're, they're, they're actually a producer, but they've got a development story embedded inside of them. I mean, one of my biggest holdings I like a lot um, I don't. I didn't like the deal they just did, but I really like GCM Holdings. It, it was GCM Mining. It was one of my biggest holdings, and uh, you know they've got a great producing mine that trades at a very low multiple of cash flow, and then they've got a great development project in Guyana that's fully funded that will you know add another mine that'll you know more than double their you know AU equivalent ounces. So um, you know you've got kind of both of them going on there, and 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 you know are there risks of cost overrun with the Guyana project? Sure. But when you've got a company and when, when it's funded and, and you've got positive cash flow, that's a different story than if you're a single mine, you know, development story, hoping to, to continue raising money in order to get your mind built. I mean, that's a much harder proposition. So, um, but, but yeah, we, I do do development stories when I think, I mean, the, the, hur the hurdle I use is I like things where the CapEx, um, you know, you pay back the CapEx in a year or a year and a half. So generally those have IRRs of 90 plus percent. You know, that's the kind of thing you can get financed. You know, you look at a big CapEx development story with a 15% IRR, that's not very interesting, right? you know, that, um, because you have to kind of assume there will be cost overruns in an inflationary environment like what we've got, right? So, what, are you doing private placements or buying in the open market right both, now? Both. both. I mean, that's, yeah, I, we look at all the private placements. I don't like all of them. I mean, a good example of a private placement we did recently really like, and it's a production story, but also a development story is Guanajuato Silver. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I mean, they just raised $16 million. I mean, this is a really outstanding opportunity, in my opinion, because what they were able to do, Great Panther was having trouble with their assets in the Guanajuato area. And those assets, depending upon how you want to look at them, were valued between $70 and $100 million. I mean, you know, one mine that was operating, another mine that would have been operating, but it was having you know, a tailing pond capacity issue, um, some great deposits and some good high-grade ore. And, you know, because Great Panther isn't exactly lighting it up in terms of financial performance, they needed to sell this operation. So they sold it to Guanajuato for $16 million. So I like, you know, it basically doubled the size of Guanajuato's reserves and it doubled the, it will double the size of Guanajuato's production when we get everything going in terms of production. That's going to take a little while. It's going to take a year, although Guanajuato is producing ore today. So, you know, I mean, here, here for, you know, you bought 80 million of assets, say for 16 million bucks. You know, that kind of works, right? Um, and we got a full warrant on that deal. So. And you like the smaller producers like that, if I recall, yeah, right? Yeah, very That's much where so. You... I mean, I like the smaller producers have a chance to grow, right? So, you know, like as an example, I mean, I don't own any Barrick. I don't own any Newmont, you know. But the biggest thing I own is Agnico, which I think is probably the premier, you know, large cap producer in safe jurisdiction. And we'll probably talk about it. But I think, you know, jurisdiction is becoming more and more important, you know, because of all the things that are going on in the world, all the socialism in South America, 
and problems in other areas as well. And as a result of that, you know, I think if the, when the day is done, things that are in safe areas, although, as Rick Rule says, no area is really safe. <laughs> it's like <laughs> government are around. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, who knows? I mean, the Canadian government, the U.S. government, you know, any government can tax or grab any mine. And so, you know, the theory has always been that Australia, the U.S., and, and Canada were safe jurisdictions. And, you know, for now, let's assume they are, but they may not always be. Um, but obviously, those are the, you know, the easiest ones to, to feel comfortable with. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, but but we have some bigger names. I mean, I think, you know, I-80 is a bigger name that we like. Um, you know, K-92 is a bigger name that I really like. Uh, Torx is a bigger name that I like, um, you know, but um, in general, I want to see, you know, I want to see a good mind, good mind life, good management, um, you know, a fair amount of margin so they've got protection if the price of the metal goes down and then a path to increase production over the years. And all the companies I just listed, you know, kind of fit that model as producers fit that model. And Stepgold too is another one of your favorites, right? Stepgold is another or one. Used yep, to be. They're in there. They're in there as well. And Erdine is actually their neighbor. And they've been doing a nice job too. We own that one. Um, you know, and then there are others that are close. I mean, or, or have started production. I mean, I really like them when they kind of started production and they're, they're ramping. Like a good one in that bucket is the Manera Alamos story. You know, get some very low capex simple mines in mexico and they're going to continually ramp for the next few years and so um so that's a you know that's a a, a segment that i that i play in a lot um um you know gold mountain uh falls into that category i mean they're tolling some more and then they'll eventually move to producing their own um i'm just trying to look at my list uh, here. were you in rio too they have their environmental permit issue i was right not now? i was not i mean it was and just for for sheer dumb luck i mean i you know i i always was a little uncomfortable with how far they had to truck the ore or i mean how far they had to truck the water to make it work and i mean there's a perfect example of what you and i were what we were just discussing which is you know these countries are not as as friendly as they used to be i mean they're you know i mean you used to think of peru or chile or certain countries is being very, you know, Argentina is being very acceptable for mining. And um, I think, you know, I mean, basically like Ecuador, I wouldn't generally touch. Um, but I, I think, unfortunately, they're going in the wrong direction, a lot of these places. And so um, it's not so easy to, to, you know, to be involved in companies that are only operating in those areas. So do you, are you going to wait for permits to be issued then before you speculate? Yeah, I generally am. I mean, it's something like that. I mean, that reminds me a little bit of like a Bear Creek, which always had, you know, permitting issues or um, what's the one in South America? Oh, there's a big one in South America. That I'm, I'm having, I'm drawing a blank, a bellow, you know, I mean, they now apparently they seem to be maybe resolving their permitting and social license issues but I got to look into that further, but I avoided that because of, because of that particular issue. Um, you know, I, I just don't like it when, um, you know, the, the, the locals are fighting you, um, in general. So what about, have you been selling off any like underperformers um, in the downturn to redeploy? No, some I mean, sometimes, you know, so, I mean, I, you know, I kind of treat like, like an Ignico and some of the big names, I kind of treat like cash because you know, they're liquid. I mean, there's little <laughs> names, as you know, they're kind of hard to get into and out of. So you can't, I mean, when you got a fund that, I don't know, you know, 50 million, I've got probably 70 million plus AUM. I mean, I can't just move in and out of these little companies super easily. So, um, so I, what I tend to do is I keep a certain amount of money in big liquid names. And then when I see a small name, I like, I sell a big liquid name to buy the small name and, you know, the big liquid names I like are kind of, you know, uh, Agnico. I like Endeavor Mining. I like Corora. 
Um, I like all the silver stocks. I mean, we should so talk you about- li- you like Africa, like with some yeah, major- I'm actually okay with Africa. Yeah. Africa is, I'm in Arizona. I, I don't have the problem in jurisdictional wise that, you know, in Africa that a lot of people have. I, I'm okay with it. I actually think you're more, you're more at risk. You can get a mine into production a lot quicker than North you America. You sure can. Yeah. You sure can. And, you know, it's, I mean, uh, you know, you've got to, there are issues there and it's, that's a long discussion, and, you know, regarding, you know, security and, and so on and so forth. I mean, you've got to do the right things, but if you do those and, you know, I was in Taranga and I, I spoke to the CEO there many, many times. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been at, in the past, I was in B2 and, you know, they're, they're, I mean, there's a way to operate a mine over there that's, that's safe and, and it works. I mean, not, you know, I mean, obviously the Semaphore case scared the shit out of everybody, but, but there's a way around that. And so I, I'm not too worried about Africa. Um, I'm pretty, I'm very worried about Peru and Chile and Argentina. Um, and some of the companies I have, you know, that are, that are, that have a mine in those areas, you know, like Dundee's got some mines in Ecuador, some development projects in Ecuador, I, I view that as a negative or, you know, Fortuna's got that mine in Argentina that, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're capital controls, soft capital controls in Argentina. So I view that as a negative, you know, but I was going to say one of the things we ought to kind of talk about would be, you know, just kind of the whole silver area. I mean, look, I mean, we all know silver is, is gold's wild cousin and it goes up and down faster. And there's just a lot more torque in the silver stock. So if you kind of look at all of my you know, we've done this, you know, analysis on my portfolio. You look at hundred percent of my, you know, mining portfolio, I'd probably say 40. I mean, it's hard to find good silver stores. As you and I both know, we were both in Arcana, which didn't work or, you know, Lexico basically didn't work. It's going to work great for Heckler, but it didn't work for the guys running it. Um, silver is really, in my view, you know, a, a higher beta play on all this stuff. So you know, I've got pretty big positions in most of the silver miners, including, you know, Pan American, Silvercrest, Silvercorp, Hecla core. I mean, there are management issues in both of those, but let's face it, they've got huge reserves and they also are go-to names. And, you know, in this next run, I mean, I, I think silver will take out the 50 bucks and which is what makes Guanajuato so exciting to me. I mean, Guanajuato works nicely in the mid twenties, you know, at 50, it's just going to be insane. I mean, it's, you know, Guanajuato when it's up and running, it'll have 4 million ounces of production a year, you know, call it, even if you call it 15, $18 an ounce to produce, you know, maybe you get silver up in the 28, so you're getting $10 a margin, you're getting 40 million of cash flow. I mean, what's the Guanajuato market cap right now? 100. It's trading a couple of times for pro forma cash flow. And and that four will grow. And, you know, it's I think silver's going a lot higher than 26 or 28. I mean, silver goes into the 30s, 40s. I mean, these silver companies are just going to throw off cash. You know, and, and there's some development stories there that I like a lot, like Go Gold. I mean, they've got a small production operation, but they've got a bigger project they're doing. Discovery Silver. I like a lot. Those guys are good guys. That's a great project. Um, you know, I obviously, have, you know, First Majestic, Fresnillo, um, Hot Child, um, you know, so. There's, there's not that know, many silver names, though, is there? There when really are. I mean, it's very <laughs> like hard you could, to find. You, like, know them all. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I own Endeavor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, there, there aren't many pure play silver names. That's right. I mean, even know, first uh, majestic bought a gold mine, right? You yeah. Know? Right. I wish they hadn't. I mean, Jared can has been a disaster. I mean, hopefully they'll get it straightened out. The little one that I kind of like that probably isn't on most people's radar screens, but I think it's doing a nice job. Now uh, we own a good piece of it is uh, silver X, which is kind of a new, new story. It's, it was the old oral X has been rebranded, but that, they're doing a nice job in the silver space. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah, you're right. There aren't that many, there aren't that many pure silver names. And so you got to kind of, dig around to find them. Um, you know, GR Silver just had some great drill results this morning. We own that. Uh, Abra Plata, I own that. Um, 
I don't know. I can't think of all of them. I can't remember all and, of them. And silver takes off in, in your projection when the Fed stops tightening, right? That's I when think it- that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, I think, look, I mean, they're trapped. They're trying to pretend they're not trapped. That's fine. That can go on for a while. Can't go on forever. When it ends, you know, the only way out, I mean, we've got a sovereign debt crisis here where we got way too much debt. And, you know, yeah, they can turn this into 1929 if they want to collapse everything. Um, and obviously, for political reasons, they have to fight inflation. That's what they're trying to do. And they're going to hang on to this narrative as long as they possibly can. You know, and what will happen is my guess is inflation will come down a bit, not a ton, but a bit. I mean, you see already oil starting to come in a bit, you know, demand destruction, et cetera. And then what will happen is employment will start, unemployment will start to go up and the political winds will shift a bit. And it'll be like, hang on a second. This economy is really not working. We're losing jobs. Inflation is not such a big deal, or it's it's less of a threat than unemployment, you know, and th- and they're going to have to go the other way, and at that point things just explode. And you also see, and I think this is a big driver, not just the Fed. I think actually a bigger driver of what's going on with all these metals and and in general, you know, the story is just what the federal government is doing. I mean, it's the deficits, you know. I mean, you know, now we've got the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really almost Orwellian. <laughs> I mean, they're going to spend money to reduce inflation. Okay. <laughs> How are they going to do that? I mean, they claim they're going to make it up in taxes and have a bunch of people, you know, coming around and IRS agents hassling us. I mean, look, I, I think the bottom line is that they are in a trap that is only going to be resolved ultimately. I mean, given the political situation that we have in the world, the only resolution to this is to continue to print money. Right now, the U.S. is trying to slow that down, but you notice that Japan just doubled down on it. They, you know, they're printing more yen in order to keep their yields flat. You know, uh, the <laughs> the eurozone took their rates from negative fifty bits to zero, and you know they've said they'll let their balance sheet grow in an unlimited fashion. So, so the trend to monetary debasement, you know, while it may have hit a little bit of a road bump here because you know. Uh, Jay Powell is trying to pretend that he's Paul Volcker. You know, I, that's really what I consider it. I consider it a, a speed bump, you know, that could last a few months or maybe maybe at the worst case a year. And then, you know, I actually think we might have just put in the low here, you know, in the last few months and and that this one this will be the run that takes us through 2000. I mean, I think the key numbers are kind of 2050 in the gold price and, you know, mid 30s and the silver price. That's when you consider uh, the breakout. I, I, yeah, I think I think that happens and we got a breakout. And and it runs know, to I, 50. Your friend Don Durrett believes once we break through 30, it goes to 50 quickly. I think it goes to 50 very quickly. And then I think we go through 50. And I mean, that's really game on. I mean, I think when the gold goes through 2050, I mean, we've touched, you know, remember in 2011, gold hit 2019. On the peak COVID thing, gold hit 2050, came back in. Earlier this year, it hit 2070. You know, came back in because of Powell's stuff. Okay, fine. That's going to last a while. But, you know, what what you're seeing is kind of each, you know, and each drawdown after those has been less, right? I mean, it's, you know, we're not going back, you know, when all this started, I mean, I remember in 2018, the goal was 1365, right? It's high 1700s now. So, you know, you kind of got a ratchet higher that's continuing in that direction. And I'm quite sure, in, you know, my analysis says that will continue and these things will really start to work in a great way. Uh, but it's, you know, for those who are impatient, of which I include myself, <laughs> you know, it's been annoying. I mean, 
you know, when you record, say a year, you say it could happen in a year, like a year is eternity for a gold I stock know, investor. It feels like eternity, but it, <laughs> it could also happen in months. I mean, you've got a couple of wild card events. I mean, a lot of people laugh and say, well, this will never happen. Maybe it won't, but you know, you do have kind of the Russian stuff going on and the BRICs trying to form their own currency and central banks buying gold and the, you know, the, um, um, you know, the commitment to traders reports very upside down and, you know, it, it could happen. I mean, there could be, there could be a, a more rapid sweep to this whole thing. I mean, at some point, remember, we all know there's a lot of paper gold out there. And at some point, you know, that paper gold might get redeemed. People might say, give me my gold instead of the paper. And, you know, it, it, people might find themselves surprised. And like I say, I think when we go through 2000, I think we'll be at 2,500 or 3000 before, before you blink. And the thing that I find so encouraging and that I like about my positions and what I hold is that my things work really well if we just stay at 1800. I mean, these companies will be fine. They're going to grow. They're going to make profit. They're going to expand the production. And, you know, I mean, just, just but on a per share basis, you're not going to get the return you want until retail starts no, buying these well, stocks. Well, that's because I want 5x my money. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, you look, I mean, if, if things are trading at three times cash flow and people decide, well, that's too cheap, you know, we're going to revalue them at six times cash flow. That's up 100% with no change in the underlying nature of the business or the cash flow. So, yeah, but obviously what gets us all excited and the reason we're in this is the asymmetry of it, which is, you know, if, I mean, as we all know, the, the, the mining costs are somewhat fixed. They go up over time with the cost of the inputs, but they're, they're certainly more fixed than the metal because the metal could go up 30 or 40% and, and, you know, the mining costs don't go up that fast. And so your margins are going to increase, your profits are going to increase. So now suddenly you're talking about, well, okay, if we're at a three multiple on a dollar of profits, what happens if, you know, metals go up 30%, profits go from a dollar to two, and we suddenly, we're not at a three multiple anymore, we're at a six multiple. Well, now, you know, now something that was at $3 is at $12. So that's four mm -hmm. extra money. So you get, you know, because you, you've got growth in the underlying profit and you've got, you know, multiple expansion, which is what happens in bull markets. I mean, we all remember the bull market of 2011, which peaked. I mean, people were paying 20 times cash flow. I'm not saying that was rational. And I'm not saying I won't be selling with both hands when we get there. <laughs> but, but, but the point is 20 times cash flow is a long way from three times cash flow. And we got companies trading at three times cash flow in our portfolio. So, so there's a, you know, there's, yes, there's a lot of upside here. What's, you know, I, Richard Russell's a great old market commentator. I remember he said, you know, that the tough thing about bull markets is they just try and throw you off. And, you know, and, and, you know, Jesse Livermore said, you, you know, you got to get right and sit tight. And, and so this is hard. I mean, let's, let's, you know, it, it is battered gold stock bull syndrome. And, and my investors are kind of like, Hey, you told me we've got inflation. We're going to make a ton of money. And I, and, and we were very careful when we were selling them and still are to say, look, at any point, this stuff's very volatile. You know, you don't get a, I mean, in my good years, in my, in my 2019 year, my 2021, 2020 year, you know, I went up 98% and 120% in one year, two years back to back. Okay. I mean, that's kind of unheard of, right? Since then, I'm down 50% from the peak. I'm down 30% this year, although it's better this month, you know, so, you know, you want that kind of upside, you know, you got to live with this kind of downside and, you know, and, and things take can take, you know, years to play out. You can't necessarily, you know, you don't expect things to happen within months. But, you know, it's, it is very frustrating because, you know, the, everything's lined up perfectly. And the, the biggest thing that's going to happen, Bill, that needs to happen for us to really get paid is we need the generalist investors to give up on the stock market and come over here. And that really hasn't happened yet. I mean, I was looking the other day, we did some analysis on Apple. I mean, Apple is trading at you know thirty times cash flow. It's only down eleven percent from its all time high. It had enormous peak sales based on the pandemic when everyone was buying iPads and, and computers. 
you know, I, I think, I mean, the sales today are looking kind of, they're projecting kind of five or 6%. I think they could actually go flat to negative. You know, flat to negative company shouldn't be selling at 30 times cash flow. It just shouldn't. And so, and yet it's the biggest, you know, tech company in the world. And so everyone chases it. So, you know, and, and that stuff's still working. And that stuff had worked in the past. And our stuff is, you know, that's the old bull market slowly rolling over. In my opinion, we are the new bull market slowly being discovered. You know, we had a good year in 2016, 17 and 18, eh, not so much, down a bit. We had a great year in, in 2019. We had a great year in 2020, eh, 21, not so much, down a bit. 22, 22, eh, not so much, down a bit. But, you know, still, I mean, off off the base, I mean, you know, we're up quite a bit. And, you know, that next leg up is coming along and, and it's going to, you know, I mean, this... I started in this business in the 80s, the early 80s. This reminds me of that. You know, in, in 1983 or 84, there was no greater hated uh, equity or category than equities, right? Because remember in the 70s, equities and well, bonds were hated too. Equities and bonds were death in the early 80s because everyone thought to themselves, those things suck. They've really been terrible investments since the 60s. And, and I was looking at it and I, you know, I bought, coming out of business school, I bought Microsoft at 14 times trailing earnings when it was growing 40% a year. And I thought, huh, this is pretty cheap. <laughs> 14 times on 40% growth. That's, a, that's a, you know, in an emerging, big emerging industry, that's a good thing to do. And, you know, and as it turns out, the 83 was the launch of one of the greatest bull markets ever, right? I mean, it's run since then, more or less, with, you know, the, the bumps of 87 and, you know, obviously, the, you know, the, the 2000.com and the 2008. But the point is that, we were in an enormous bull market for that stuff. I think what's happened, and, and we, you know, that was all in the backdrop of peak deflation. And I think what's happened here is we've really turned the corner on this, def in my opinion, on this deflation narrative. We are not going back to a deflationary world. We are not going back to a low interest rate world. We're not going back to a low inflation world. We're now in a different world based on what happened with COVID, what happened with the wars, the underinvestments in commodities. And so the theme for the next 20 years, if you wanted to kind of set it and forget it, would be, you know, stay away from overvalued tech, you know, I mean, sell growth and and buy boring, boring value, commodity value, you know, I mean, because- For 20 buy, years. I know so you're I think, big I, on I, finding the long-term trend and sticking with it. So that's how that's long you That's right. Should... I think that could last for 20 years. Now, maybe it gets resolved more quickly. I mean, if you look at Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs, he said that, I mean, one of the, and one of the reasons why I think it's such a long-term trend is- we underinvested in this stuff. You know, we just, nobody was, you know, we just weren't focused on it. And so as a result of that, and as you know, as we all know, you just can't, I mean, I, I laugh sometimes these, these guys in the crypto space, they're like, well, everybody's going to turn on the gold. We're going to find a ton of gold. They found a bunch of gold in Uganda. You know, you're going to be in deep shit because all the, the supply of gold in the world is going to go up enormously. Well, we all know that it just doesn't work that way. It's extremely hard to find gold. It takes years to bring a mine online. Gold supply is growing at less than 2% a year. And it's going to, you know, if the price goes up to 3,000, it might go up a couple tenths of a percent. But it's not like there's suddenly going to be a big supply response. And that's true with a lot of commodities. You know, they've been underinvested. And so, so that's why I make the macro case that we are in a inflation world now. And I think the investors, you know, the average investor looking at the stock market has seen nothing but deflation from you know, 2000, well, the 80s, really, but really 2000 to 2022. You know, if you got in this market at 2008, you'd never even seen a bear market. It was kind of like everything was just one big buy the dip, you know. 
And I, and I think what we're looking at is much more akin to the 70s, which is when bonds did poorly, general stocks did poorly, and commodity stocks were did incredibly well. I mean, if you look at the oil and gas stocks, if you look at the gold stocks during the 70s, they outperformed everything by miles. I mean, there were compound growth rates of 20 30% in both categories. So that's where I see this area, this going, this theme of inflation. And, you know, I think the best way to play it, in my opinion, this is gold and silver stock. But there are others, too. I mean, lithium is an interesting area. We're going to look into that. I mean, uh, uranium is an interesting Are you in area. copper? I have a bunch of copper names in copper, my portfolio. Copper is an interesting area. And a lot, actually, a lot of my companies have, they are copper plays. I mean, I mean, my favorite copper drill story, people should take a look at it, is Kalinex. It's an unbelievable deposit. This thing's a couple, it's like a $30, $40 million market cap company. I don't have the number at my fingertips. But this thing's got a multi-billion dollar deposit up in Canada, very safe super high-grade copper deposit. Um, but yeah, and a lot of my other companies have, you know, as you, as we all know, a lot of these mines are multi, you know, they, they're, um, they have a lot of metals in them. You know, I mean, Adriatic is a great growth story over in Europe, you know, and it's a, it's a multi, uh, multi-metal mine, you know, and, and that's another one. That's another development story that I own. So, um, you know, it's, look, I, it's, it's hard to be patient, but um, if, and, 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 as you and I both know, I think people listening, you know, you you got to you got to choose carefully. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad stuff here, and even even in the non bad stuff, things just occasionally go wrong. So you do have to spread your bets, and so you know, because look, I thought Alexco was a no brainer. It's a great deposit. You know, unfortunately, they mucked it up. I thought Arcana was a no brainer. You know, management mucked it up. I mean, and that happens. But if that's two percent of your weighting. And and had either of those worked, they would have been five to ten baggers. So, you know, because my of the warrants and such that you had associated yeah, with well, them. Well, or even without the warrants, even without the warrants. I mean, it just if you just looked at the math. I mean, if you you know if we go to hundred dollars silver, which Don thinks we're going to, and I I share his view. I think we are going to hundred dollars silver. Um, you know, it's going to be silly how much these companies are going to be worth. It, it's just it's really going to be silly. And so, you know, and that's the other thing I would say is you know. People don't need to bet the farm on this stuff because of this upside optionality. You know, uh, you can take a small position in one of these companies and just don't sell it. I mean, let, I mean, obviously, you find out something bad about it, it's going the wrong direction, sell it. But if you if you find a deposit that you know has value, you think the management team's good, you know, and and what you're really waiting for is for the price of the metals prices to go higher to daylight the value. You know, this you, you know you just buy it and I mean it goes down twenty percent and maybe the average down a little bit and. You know, I mean, you got to. What I tell my investors is, you've got to take a two to four year view on these things. You just have to. I'm extremely confident that in that kind of a time frame, they'll be very pleased with the results. That it will all work. But I also tell them whenever they come in, and of course, unfortunately, a lot of them came in right at the top in 2020. And as we all know, this is how investor behavior works, right? <laughs> you know, you chase performance. And so, unfortunately, they didn't get the 200% that we were up. You know, 100% two years in a row. We we're up going into that. You know, and now they're down 50%. And I'm like, holy shit, what happened here? And I'm like, well, this is a correction. You know, the right, the correct action would be to double your position or to add something to it on this pullback. You know, the absolute wrong action would be to sell out on this drawdown. And if you wait with me for another three years, I think you'd be very pleased with your results. But, you know, but you've got to wait because it, it doesn't, you know, the, the world economy is an ocean liner, you know, and it, it doesn't just turn on a dime. But the good news is, you know, it's it's you can see all the data points, and you can it's it's very clear that it's turning. I mean, there are just thousands of data points that support 
the macro thesis that I've laid out and, you know, and so you laid out in writing in your, uh, your well, Q2 letter you did. Report. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and there's so many great theorists on Twitter. I mean, Lynn Alden, you know, Luke, Luke Roman. I mean, you know, I'm not alone in this. And a lot of these ideas I didn't form on my own, you know, Michael Oliver. I mean, I, I take, you know, I take advice. I take all these different services, you know, always trying to get an edge and understand what the probabilities are about what's going to happen, you know, because none of us really know. And this really is just a probability game, but if you if you stack the probabilities in your favor, you know, so that all right, you know, you got a situation where you know it doesn't work out, you're gonna break even or lose a small amount of money. But if it does work out, you're not talking about making 20%, you're talking about making 5x. You know, even if even if one even if one of those becomes arcana, which you know really sucked, you know, the other four are gonna do do well enough that, you know, I mean, one of those one of the other four doubling, if they're all equal size, that bails you out from the mistake. And then the other three will probably do something good. And one of them might do 20X. And so- And you, you know, know Michael all... Gentile says, if you do yeah. 40% of what you invested in the junior resource sector is successful, you are the Warren Buffett of this sector. If that's you can exactly get four right. out of 10 right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And he and he is, by the way, a brilliant investor. And we share a lot of investments. I and mean, people could do a lot worse than just going and looking at what he owns and buying it and forgetting about it. I mean, he's, he's absolutely brilliant in this area. I mean- He's in Rise Gold with me, which is a very risky development story, but I think they're going to get the permit, in which case it'll be a five-plus bagger. You know, um, I, I don't know. We're in all kinds of things together. Most most everything he's done has merit. And, you know, you could you could do a lot worse than to fill your portfolio. If if you want drill stories, you could do a lot worse than to fill your portfolio with his stuff. And the other group that's done pretty well in the drill story area and their friends as well, the Crestcat guys. I mean... And I'm in a lot of their drill stories. I mean, I think Lion One is a home run just waiting to happen. It's one of my biggest positions. I think it's going to be a beautiful large deposit. They're finding high grade. You know, it's one of these rim of fire, you know, alkaline gold deposits. I, I I can't see how that thing doesn't become five or 10 million ounces. And, you know, it's 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 valued like it's a fraction of that. You know, I think SK has the same kind of, you know, potential. I mean, you know, we haven't really talked drill stories, but I've got a lot of them. And, you know, I like Cabral. I like Heliostar. Um, just did the proper placement there. Um, development story I like is called Tieto over in Australia. Or I mean, actually, they, they out of Australia, the company, the, the mine they're building is actually in Africa. I think Timberline has had some very good uh, drill results recently on that. I think Vista is a very underdeveloped drill story slash development story headquartered in Denver, but the property is in Australia. Um, Cassier is a, is a drill slash development story. The Serato Gold is actually operating, but it's also kind of a drill story on top of that. Um, you know, I own Dundee. Um, another one, a, a small one that I like that's not in the per, the pure um, precious metal. Well, it's in a precious metal, but not in gold and silver. Is Clean Air Metals? Are you familiar with that one at all? Uh, they, vaguely, I haven't. Yeah, dug deep into it. it. I, I think they've got just an enormous deposit, and they sell for pennies on the dollar. I know. Can't remember if Michael. That's did a deal platinum there. and palladium, though, right? Isn't yes, that exactly okay? I can't remember if Michael did a deal there or not. I know he was looking at it. I think he might have done a deal there. Um, I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure he did. Um, but that's that's one of the ones he's in. Um, he's in Arizona Metals, which I like. Um, he's got a couple of other drill stories that don't come to mind right off the top of my head. He's on the board of Roscan, which I own and like. But remember, another I mean, African I, company. Yeah, to, another African company. Yeah. Remember, I'm dropping a lot of names here, but again. You know, you really, if you're going to do this, you need to diversify. You know, it's important because if, you know, if all you bought was Alexco, well, guess what? You, you know, you got your ass handed to you. If all you bought was Arcana, same story. You know, you can't buy one 
you can't buy one risky um, you know gold stock or silver stock the way the way that this game works because they all have a certain amount of something can go wrong risk you know Murphy's law you need to find what you need and what you what you want to do is you want to make sure you really have the upside and that it's legitimate that the, that you got an honest shot at it um, and that's where you know and so so you want to you want to be in the quality names that have an honest shot of having the good stuff happen. Um, and, and sadly, you know, there are a lot of promotes and other things out there that, that aren't quality names that don't even ever have the honest shot. Something can go wrong. And I mean, you, you gotta have, you gotta have the honest shot at it working. Um, and then, you know, a few of them won't, but you know, the ones that will, will pay for that and more. So, so that's kind of the approach that we take. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, best okay. way to follow you is Twitter, right, Larry? Yeah, You're very I'm active. on Twitter. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, yeah, well, I, as you know, I, I don't like the Federal Reserve, and I don't, I'm very, I'm a very, beyond all this, I'm a sound money guy. I mean, I've, I've mm-hmm. been an Austrian economist forever. I got into this whole area because in 2008, I got radicalized when they bailed out the bankers and gave them, you know, socialism for ri- the rich is really what QE was. It, was. it was just wrong, just fundamentally wrong. And so um, ever since then, I've been a sound money guy. So I talk a lot about some money on Twitter. It's just my name at Lawrence Lepard on Twitter. So, um, and I, I'll try and interact with anybody who has questions, DM me, whatever I do the best I can to be responsive. So excellent. I will link to that in the show notes below and thank you for your time today. Oh, thanks. It was always fun to talk to you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.